Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements or anything like that, so let's just jump right into it. There's some updates to Crix's Super EverDrive line of products. First is a firmware update that integrates the new way of handling save game files to this one. Um, Crix has been updating all of the EverDrives to have this, and basically every time that you reset back to the main menu, it copies whatever save file for the game you're currently using back to the SD. So this is great for people that trade or swap around save files, or also just for people that don't want to ever have to worry about their battery dying in their EverDrive because there's nothing lost at that point. So, uh, you know, resetting back to the the menu is something that has just become second nature for me with ROM carts, and I think most people as well. So this is kind of one of those things that's just an awesome feature that I'm really glad Crix is going back and adding to the other versions of the EverDrive. And also, there's now a X6 version of the Super EverDrive being announced. I don't believe they're up for sale yet, but this one adds support for some of the DSP chips that weren't available, now making this a really viable ROM cart for the Super Nintendo, because previous to this, the cheapest options out there only played the basic ROMs, so you couldn't play games like Super Mario Kart or Pilot Wings, and you would have to go to the much more expensive FX Pack Pro. And this one really adds support for enough carts where you just have to decide, do you want MSE one audio? Do you want Super Game Boy support? And to be honest, a lot of people just don't really need any of that. They would rather just have a basic ROM cart lying around for testing and homebrew and um, not really have to worry about it. So as always, I love that there's choices. Um, there's no right answer. It's whatever fits your setup the best. So props to Crix for continuing to produce these things and always uh, a thank you to him for continuing to add new firmware updates to them. As promised, the all-in-one case for the GBS Control project is now officially opened. Um, much like many other projects in the retro gaming world, the team behind this wanted to sell a few to recoup their development costs and then promised to release all of the files for anybody that wanted to make their own, and they kept their promise. And All of the files are available across GitHub, um, and anybody that wants to produce their own, both the case, the board, or uh, any of the adapters for it can just feel free to go ahead and do so. I really do think this all-in-one case is an excellent choice for people that want SCART inputs, uh, or if you're modding the 8220s, this would, yeah, 8220. This would allow you to have dual output that's uh, that's safe. Um, now, if you add this to an 8200, there is still the switch in front that allows you to toggle between which output you want, which is really excellent because you don't want to have dual outputs connected accidentally. That'll put too much uh, too much load on the chips and could kill your GBS, which, you know, 
Uh, these things are pretty cheap, but I still don't like to see anything go to waste, especially after you've taken the time to mod it and add the Wi-Fi module and everything. So um, I'm hoping that they'll sell the do-it-yourself kits for this at some point in the future. I think they're trying to plan on doing that. But at the very least, for now, if you're just looking to build your own, now you have the ability to do so. And please check out my video on GBS Control because it really is an awesome project. And uh, as I've said many, many, many times before, I think this project is really going to turn into a go-to you know, set of tools for people that are using CRTs. And of course, it works great with flat panels as well. But I think this project's going to stand the test of time for use scaling to VGA monitors, scaling down to RGB monitors. It's just a really cool project all around. So I definitely check out, uh, recommend checking out that video um, or just checking out the GitHub for it if you want to build your own. There's a new patch released for Resident Evil that the creators are calling the True Director's Cut, which is a pretty interesting way of taking all of the best parts from all of the localizations and even some of the betas with unreleased stuff that didn't make it to the final version and adding them and combining them into one version that's used to patch on top of the DualShock version of the game. So it's pretty interesting. Alex went into pretty good detail in the post about why they were doing this, but basically different localizations change different parts of the game and this aims to really make the best version of it with no censorship and some cool stuff that were found in the betas so if you're a fan of the game i highly recommend at the very least checking out alex's post but maybe even considering it and stuff like this i always think is absolutely awesome because not only is it a look at what might have been but it's a look at what other people saw and i certainly appreciated that when i was playing uh delocalized versions of um, some of the old Zelda games and stuff like that. And I just think stuff like this is really awesome. So if you're a fan of the Resident Evil series, definitely check this out and consider patching your own and giving it a try. A new firmware was just released for the CoreU transcoder. That's the device that takes composite and S-video and converts it to component video for use with things like the open source scan converter or my personal favorite use if you have something like a Sony BVM monitor that only has RGB and component inputs. This is a pretty good way to interface those signals to it. And the changes include things like the ability to save your settings um, whenever you change them and have it automatically restored on power-up, as well as the ability to turn off the test pattern so that if you're using something like an auto sensing switch like the gcomp switch when a signal isn't being sent to the core you it doesn't send the signal out to the switch so it doesn't always automatically default to something even if the console isn't powered on both of those are really handy there's also some bug fixes and uh, a tweak for the field reversal issue in ntsc interlaced modes so if you have any of those issues uh, i definitely recommend upgrading the firmware Unfortunately, you need a programmer to do so. Um, it's not as easy as like a retro tank where you just plug it in. However, I found a programmer that's supposedly compatible for $8.50 with free shipping. So um, it's not the end of the world. It's not like you have to buy some fancy expensive programmer. And as long as you follow the firmware update instructions uh, as closely as you can, which are all linked right here, it shouldn't be too big of a process. My, uh, my programmer is coming in the mail probably tomorrow, so I'll be able to check it out and see how easy it actually is. But seems like a really handy update for people that use the Core U. 
So we finally did another writer's podcast. This is 100% my fault. I just haven't made the time to make it happen. Uh, And I I really regret that because these are so much fun. And I am so lucky that I get to work with a bunch of very amazing people. And I would like to showcase them a hell of a lot more than I have been. Uh, And I'm very sorry for not doing so. But this was a a good step towards doing that. Uh, We had a, a pretty interesting and pretty diverse cast of characters that all brought a very unique perspective on games and um, in the things that we talked about. Um, We kind of reintroduced everybody on the call just because it's been so long since the last writer's podcast, Uh, talked about what games we were playing, and then jumped into some fun debates like what's considered retro? How long does it have to be? You know, what, what does that stuff involve? Uh, and we have some ideas from a, for a bunch of other topics like that that I think would be a whole lot of fun. Um, I got a little emo at the end thanking everybody, but I genuinely 100% meant all of that stuff. Uh, I think it's amazing that I get to work with so many cool people uh, and so many awesome developers around the world as well. And I think the around the world part always really gets me too because, um, you know, we had... F- people from four different countries spanning the entire range of time from different time zones. I think Dan got on at around 5.30 in the morning, and uh, it was almost midnight for Ronnie at that point and kind of in the middle for the rest of us. So I just think that's absolutely awesome that... You know, stuff like this really does, you know, I know this is cheesy, but it really does make the world a smaller place because, you know, we all just love games and nerding out and, you know, it's uh, it's pretty cool to just get together with all these awesome people and hang out. So we will be doing a lot more of these. Um, now, the uh, these I treat like all other podcasts in that they're all available audio only as well. So while it's always nice to see a big YouTube, you know, hit number, um, listen to these however is easiest for you no matter what so if it's going through a podcast service like itunes or google play or something or just downloading the mp3 does not matter whatever is the easiest for you is what we want you to use just because we'd rather have people you know virtually hanging out with us and enjoying it than than forced to listen in one specific way so i tried to hit every single podcast platform out there. Um, If I'm missing one, let me know, especially if it's one that you use and you don't want to have to switch to something else to be able to hear these. I'll add everything that I can to these so that more people could listen as easy as possible. So thanks again for checking this out. And the next one we'll probably do live just for fun and kind of go from there. The Mr. Team has just added the option to add custom Super Game Boy borders to anybody playing a game on the Game Boy Core. And this is a little bit different than the previous option that was available. Up until this, you had the option to toggle Super Game Boy borders for any cartridges that had that border built in. So things like Donkey Kong or um, Link's Awakening DX that had their own custom borders, you would have the ability to pull those and use it. But now you could just select whichever Super Game Boy Boy border that you want. Um, I Somebody shared their borders with me, so I hosted them just to make it easier for people to get started. But basically, any Game Boy game at all, you could load up and select whichever border you want to get the feel of the original. So I think features like this go a really long way into making you feel like you're playing the original experience, especially if you're using a controller adapter and something like that. So playing this with a Super Nintendo controller with that border around it would really feel like playing 
playing on a super high quality version of original hardware. So while this might not be nearly as exciting as, you know, crazy new arcade cores being added, I do think a lot of people are really going to appreciate this because it, it does add, at least in, in my opinion, it really does add to the experience. So thanks to everybody on the Mr. Team for always just continuing to give us these amazing updates. Um, it's always really appreciated and I can't wait to see what they have next. Unfortunately, it looks like Sony has officially confirmed the rumor that's been going around that they will be closing the PlayStation 3, Vita, and PSP online stores. It looks like July 2nd is when the PS3 and the PSP stores will close, and August 27th is when the Vita stores will close. So uh, there's some details on what exactly you're left to do, but basically uh, you'll be able to still supposedly re-download games that you've already purchased for a while you still be able to access previously purchased content like uh, videos and stuff like that um, and you could still redeem game uh, game and playstation plus vouchers so it's um it's i guess it's good that they're not just completely pulling the plug so that people who have already purchased them won't completely lose out you'll still have time to to re-download all of those things but you'll no longer be able to purchase new versions of those games including any kind of extra content to them uh no more in-game purchases as well and no more psn wallet fund vouchers for them so you know it's not the worst news but it still sucks so i uh you know, I strongly suggest that if you have a large library of PS3 games, maybe now's the time to upgrade the hard drive, download all of them to it. Um, or, I mean, to be perfectly honest, uh, if you have a library of PS3 games, and you know, of discs, and you, you're afraid that you're not going to be able to access any of that extra content, you know, maybe now's the time for a jailbreak so that you could download all of those and have the full versions. Um, I'm not really sure what the best way to go about doing all of that stuff is, but it is really sad to see stores like this shut down because I'm always afraid of content like this being lost forever. And uh, hopefully, hopefully us dirty pirates will be able to prevent that from happening. Or in a better world, hopefully the game companies and the whole, uh, you know, the whole organization around it could come up with some way to keep these games alive forever. But that's not looking likely anytime soon. So for now, protect your purchases any way you can. A remastered version of the old FMV game Ground Zero Texas was just released under the name Ground Zero Texas Nuclear Edition on both the PlayStation 4 and the PC via Steam. And the Steam version supposedly has mouse control, which is awesome. I think, in my opinion, as much as I would love to appreciate the upgraded graphics in this, the ability to use a mouse is very cool, because I distinctly remember playing the heck out of this game when I was a little kid, and there was a part towards the end that you just couldn't use the Genesis controller fast enough to scroll from one part of the screen to the other. And as hard as I tried, I would always die at that same part. Just, you know, I'd even try to plan my moves so the cursor was already moving where I shot the first thing and then, you know, on its way to the second part of the screen and I could never do it. So I'm really interested in playing this game. I was going to try to live stream it last week, but ended up not having time. But uh, I'd love to re-experience this game now as an adult because I haven't played it since I was a kid. Um, and I'd like to see it with the, you know, the uh, enhanced 
video from it. I guess they, they must have remastered it and filtered it out, as well as using it with a mouse. I think that's going to be a pretty big upgrade. So uh, if you want more info, check out Chris's post on it. There was a, a hard copy version available from Limited Run Games, but that, as you would expect, sold out right away. But I think for me, this is going to be PC version on Steam to try this thing out and see how I feel about the game now with slightly easier controls. Version 1.0 of Open PS2 Loader has just been released, and with it comes a long list of improvements, bug fixes, graphical updates, uh, fixes for games, uh, just an insane amount of upgrades. So if you're a user of Open PS2 Loader, uh, I would call this a must upgrade. Definitely check out Ronnie's post for more info, as well as links to everything you need. And for anybody unaware, Open PS2 Loader is a piece of software that could be put on a homebrew modified PlayStation 2 memory card that allows you to boot games from a connected hard drive. So this is a really great way to play homebrew, patched games, or pretty much anything PS2 related. And it's something that I've used this as well as the previous version of the software that was under a different name. And I, I've had good luck with it. But I've always seemed to run into some sort of bug here and there with it. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to upgrading to this version and seeing if I get just a better experience overall. Now, I still truly think that there is room in the market for an optical drive emulator for the PlayStation 2. Um, Ronnie also talks about it in his post here. And I just think that a lot of people want the simplicity of doing something like connect a USB port to the, you know, to the front where your DVD tray used to be and uh, load up your ROMs that way. And that would also allow the ability to play PlayStation 1 games as if it was a disc, which I don't think many people know that when you run software, uh, when you run PlayStation 1 software through OpenPS2 Loader, it uses the software emulation Pop Starter to do so. Uh, and unless things have changed drastically with this version, um, it's really along the lines of what you would expect from software emulation and not the really good way of playing PlayStation 1 discs, which is very similar in many cases, if not identical in some cases, to playing on original PlayStation 1 hardware. So, uh, you know, it would be cool if a software update brought that functionality to loading games from a hard drive, but I still just really think an optical drive emulator would be an awesome thing for this. Um, and, you know, it, it would open up the door for a lot of other ways to interact with the PlayStation 2, um, and that doesn't necessarily require some kind of soft mod to it. I know people that use mod chips, uh, those PlayStation 2 mod chips installs are pretty insane. Um, and also, you know, while the soft modding is easy and you could do it on any PlayStation 2, it doesn't require any kind of hardware modding. Um, I just really do think there's room for an optical drive emulator. But let me know your thoughts on it. Maybe I'm wrong. I think I'm right about this one, but who knows? But either way, if you use OpenPS2 Loader, definitely seems like a worthy upgrade to go to version 1.0. Well, that's it for this week. Um, this was kind of a shorter one. I had a bunch of other posts that I've been working on that are halfway done that I just didn't have time to finish, but nothing time sensitive, no like pre-orders that are about to close or something like that. Uh, just normal stuff that I want to keep people in the loop of or things that I think are cool. So I guess hopefully that means next week will be an extra feature filled one because I'll have all of these posts caught up with. But anyway, as always, thank you so much to everybody that watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in 
any way because your support, whether it's just clicking through Amazon links or actually signing up for any monthly services is what's keeping this podcast, all the behind the scenes research, the videos and everything around it alive. So thank you all so much and I'll see you next week. 